Welcome back, everybody, to the Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful. On this Monday, another week ahead of us. It is so good to be with you. Let's dive in. Fox News is very unhappy with the Tennessee Three, as they're being called. Um, not that they were expelled, not that two out of three of them were expelled, but instead that they dared to protest, that they dared to speak out against the inaction of Republicans in the state of Tennessee. And that is what individuals I'm going to show you here on Fox News are unhappy with. Um, I'm more concerned with the protesting uh, against the inaction of Republicans on the issue of gun violence than the inaction of Republicans on the issue of gun violence. It's absurd. Before we dive into these clips, though, as a quick uh, recap, in case you missed this, covered it at the end of last week, three Democratic lawmakers um, on the House floor in Tennessee protested, as I said, the fact that in the wake of the Nashville, Tennessee mass shooting, still Republicans refuse as they continue to do to act and implement common sense laws to uh, address the unique to America problem that we have um, in comparison to other developed countries with gun violence. And this protest, nonviolent, it was, it was definitely peaceful. They didn't vandalize, none of that. What was their big crime in the eyes of uh, Republicans? Breaking the decorum, the House rules, right? They're supposed to be recognized to speak if they're going to speak, but they were disrupting for an extended period of time, which, sure, against the rules, they should be expelled for that. Absolutely not. Um, and... Republicans genuinely are more upset with, more able to act on getting rid of two out of three lawmakers who protest uh, gun violence than the gun violence itself, apparently. And it's actually pretty enraging. Um, so that's the summary. Two out of three of those individuals now have been expelled. Um, and in response to that, this is what we saw on Fox News, starting with Tommy Lauren saying, this, according to the Democratic definition, is an insurrection. When this was unfolding, I was there, and those in Nashville understand the reality of the situation, and by the left's definition, this was an insurrection, and this isn't the only one that's happened when this was unfolding. How? Do they think that any protesting now is seen as an insurrection? They do realize that January 6th was, because uh, you know that's what she's referencing, a violent insurrection where people weren't supposed to be in the Capitol, and they were breaking in beating police officers, trying to reach politicians to do horrible things to them, and um, committing crime after crime, felony after felony within that process. How that's even relevant to this conversation, I don't know, other than being dishonest on their part. Um, next moment here. Decided that she was going to embrace the violence that we saw on the floor of the legislature. Shame on those politicians, by the way, all three of them. What gets me now with Harris and, and Biden as well, in particular, he's going to host them at the White House? Are you kidding me? That's what I mean. This politics should not be about violence, full stop, no matter what side of the aisle you are on. Uh, but for them to actually now glorify the anger and the ridiculousness that we have seen from the Tennessee state legislature and what happened on the floor, it is. It's, a, it's just sad. It makes me very, very sad. This is what happens when you go on air with your talking points before actually looking into the story, before actually knowing if any of the things you've heard flying around social media 
um, are actually accurate. What is she talking about? The violence from the lawmakers? Uh, huh? Um, but what she's referencing is Vice President Kamala Harris visited Nashville, Tennessee to show her support for the Tennessee uh, Three. And before we get to another moment from Fox News in just a second, here is a little bit from Kamala Harris's, Harris's speech there. And your leadership in this movement is going to impact people that you may never meet, people who may never know your name. But because of your leadership, they will forever be benefited. So I say all that to say, we will not be defeated. We will not be deterred. We will not throw up our hands when it is time to roll up our sleeves. We will fight. We will lead. We will speak with truth. We will speak about freedom and justice. And we will march on. And Absolutely. And then we get to the final clip I'll show you from Fox. Well, these are people who don't care about yeah. gov the government. This is the ends justify the means, Gen Z, yeah. Marxist, indoctrinated <laughs> young people. And it's shameful that. <laughs> that was an, uh, <laughs> like a, a machine that just spits out, an AI generated uh, machine that spits out right wing keywords. Listen to that again the means gen z yeah. marxist indoctrinated young people and it's shame <laughs> gen z marxist indoctrinated young people crt woke <laughs> that they're being um reinforced uh by our own vice president and white house with an invitation to the white house um this is no way to run our government uh. and we're in for tr a lot of trouble um, if this is the new standard for civility in government and in our society, Representative Farmer, I well, these are. Oh, goodness. Um, if it makes me a Gen Z uh, Marxist indoctrinated young person to actually want to address the problem in this country, the devastating problem that we have with countless lives being lost at the hands of guns, actually wanting to have leaders, political leaders lead in implementing common sense laws to help decrease gun violence. If that makes me a Gen Z, Marxist, indoctrinated young person, count me in if that's what that means. Um, and the fact that they're so upset with, more upset with the disruption than the thing that the disrupting was trying to call attention to is just completely um completely wrong and enraging and it keeps happening devastating events keep happening and they will until we act here from usa today just as i'm about to record the show i see this news break USA Today, four people were killed and eight were injured during a shooting in Louisville's downtown area. Police said Monday the suspected shooter is also dead. I actually saw in different reports five people, um, but this is all again breaking now. So um, one of those two, just more devastation. Another mass shooting, this time in Louisville. Um, and actually 209 people have been killed in 146 mass shootings. 
just this year so far, just this year according to the gun violence archive. And the response is, let's, from this world, um, the Fox News Republican conservative world, let's obsess over, focus on the protest, the peaceful protest calling attention to this more than the actual problem that is leading to so many people uh, being dead or just experiencing violence, injuries, the fear of it happening, all of that. So enraging. Staying a little bit longer um, on the subject of the Tennessee Three, the Democratic lawmakers, two out of the three of which uh, who were expelled from the Tennessee House of Representatives for protesting um, on the House peacefully against the inaction of Republicans on the issue of, of gun violence. And Democratic State Representative Justin Jones, in his remarks responding to these actions being taken by Republicans, highlighted how absurd this is by explaining, here are things that have been done by state reps in Tennessee that didn't get them expelled. And you're expelling us for peacefully protesting, for violating the decorum, the House rules, trying to call attention to the fact that Republicans refuse to act, refuse um, to implement common sense laws to decrease gun violence, to address this issue. Um, and Justin Jones very accurately and effectively highlights both the absurdity and the hypocrisy involved here where they're okay with things far worse than what these three lawmakers did um take a look here from justin jones let's talk about expulsion for years one of your colleagues who was an admitted child molester sat in this chamber no expulsion one member sits in this chamber who was found guilty of domestic violence no expulsion We had a former speaker sit in this chamber who is now under federal investigation. No expulsion. We have a member still under federal investigation. No expulsion. We had a member pee in another member's chair in this chamber. No expulsion. In fact, they're in leadership. In the, in the governor's administration. And so once again, what you're saying to us, since you're trying to put us on trial, I'll say what you're really putting on trial is the state of Tennessee. Mm. To spend your time, energy, focus, all of that on expelling members who are trying to call attention to the devastating reality we have in this country and to spend more time on that your focus on that instead of actually addressing the problem they're calling attention to and the problem they were calling attention to through peaceful means is so wrong and by the way he mentioned an admitted uh child molester who was not expelled here 
is what that was in reference to. And also, like we saw today, expulsions have failed like against David Byrd back in 2019. That actually happened because of investigations by WSMV4 Investigates. Tonight, our Jeremy Finley has a look. Now, former state representative Justin Jones said today that the House had an admitted child molester on the floor, but that that lawmaker wasn't expelled. He's talking about former representative David Byrd, though Byrd was never charged with any crime. In fact, Representative Gloria Johnson herself drafted a motion in 2019 to expel Byrd, but it ultimately failed. WSMB4 investigates first revealed that three women accused Byrd of sexual misconduct when they were teenagers and he was their basketball coach. After the teenagers became adults, one of the women reached Byrd by phone and recorded it. In that audio, Bird said, I hope you believe me when I say that it's one of those things that I think about all the time, and I always ask forgiveness for it, and I hope you can forgive me. He also said this. I can promise you one thing, that uh, I have been so sorry, I mean, for that. Bird would never say what exactly he was apologizing for. Speaker Cameron Sexton then asked the Attorney General if Byrd could be expelled for alleged conduct committed before he was a lawmaker. And the then Attorney General advised against taking that action. Governor Lee did ask Byrd not to run for re-election, but he did anyway and won. He ultimately left the legislature after getting extremely sick from COVID. So that guy could stay, but peaceful protesters could not it <laughs> uh, uh, one positive aspect of what we've seen after this is uh, written about here from media a majority of the Nashville Council says they will vote to reinstate expelled Tennessee State Representative Justin Jones and Democrats in Memphis have more than enough votes to reinstate the other expelled Democrat Representative Justin Pearson. Um, that is awesome. So the entities responsible for deciding who is appointed in the period of time in between someone gets expelled or removed or whatever happens um, to when a special election is able to be organized and done uh, electing who will fill that seat. Those entities, the Nashville Council and um, the equivalent in Memphis, uh, they are going to likely appoint these very lawmakers, which is awesome. And then if they choose to run for uh, the special election that will formally replace them, it, likely they will be able to win. And so this will all backfire for Republicans and highlight how broken their ideology is, but we'll end up seeing these individuals back into the same seats they were before, which is good news. But all of it is so aggravating and um, also accurately highlighting just how wrong the Republican Party in the state of Tennessee and nationwide as a general rule, um, how wrong they are on the issue of gun violence and how we respond to it. A federal judge in the state of Texas has issued a ruling that in effect, if it stands, would ban the abortion pill, the abortion drug Mifepristone. Completely absurd ruling. We'll get to some legal analysis in a second here. Um, this drug, Mifepristone, 
was approved by the FDA 23 years ago. And now this federal judge is trying to overturn that, prevent women from having access to it. Take a look from ABC News. In his April 7th decision, Judge Matthew Kazmarek of the Northern District of Texas ruled in favor of Alliance Defending Freedom, a conservative Christian legal advocacy group that asked him to reverse the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's approval of mifepristone, an oral medication typically taken with misoprostol to end a pregnancy. The advocacy group's lawsuit said mifepristone is unsafe and that the FDA didn't study it closely enough before approving its use. The FDA and mainstream medical doctors insist this isn't true and that there uh, have been no safety concerns during the 23 years the drug has been on the market. Um, and then as I referenced here is a former U.S. attorney responding to this news on MSNBC. Um, all that being said, right, when you have this ruling, is there any merit behind this Texas judge's ruling when you look at Mifeprestone, which has been on the market, as Dasha said, for more than two decades, taken by five million women across the country? Is there, is there any merit to this uh, decision by the judge? No. Most of the time when there's a legal decision, I'll say, well, you know, it's a close call or reasonable minds could disagree. No, yeah. absolutely not. The FDA is the government agency that is empowered to make decisions about whether drugs should be permitted on the market. For a judge 23 years later to go back and second guess and say they got it wrong and I am overruling their decision is, is legally wrong and it's terrible public policy. Imagine you're a drug manufacturer. Once you get FDA approval, you should be able to invest in this drug and market this drug and everybody who wants to sell this drug. If a judge at any point down the road could reverse the decision of the FDA, it throws the whole pharmaceutical industry uh, out of whack. It creates chaos for consumers. Uh, and if you look at the language, what the judge says here, what he says is uh, what they failed to adequately test was the emotional trauma that is suffered by women who uh, undergo medical abortions when they see their unborn child. Um, you know, there's yeah. there's certainly no agreement as to you know, that, that language is just so loaded. No agreement whether a fetus is a child uh, under various religious traditions and other things. So I think this case ultimately it, in a in a normal world, I would say this case will be reversed. But of course, we're in the Fifth Circuit, which is also quite conservative. And then we go to the Supreme Court, which gave us Dobbs. And so I don't have the confidence I would have had pre Dobbs that this is just not going to stand at the appellate court level. So hopefully a higher court will reverse this ruling. But as she noted, uh, especially after the Trump administration, the judicial system has slid to the right significantly. So it could stand. And because of, let's just be honest, the personal views on abortion of this one judge deciding he's going to reach into the job of the FDA and say, no, it's not safe. You guys were wrong. I'm going to make that decision. Um, because of that, we could see significant negative ramifications for so many millions of women. And uh, again, I say hopefully it will be reversed. But this is, before we move on to the next aspect of the story, a chance to remind everyone, and hopefully my entire audience agrees with this, but I must remind you guys, this is yet another example of how important it is to mobilize not just your own making sure your own vote is cast uh, for the correct candidate, but also doing what we can within the context 
of our own lives to mobilize others to show up to the polls in as many um, elections as we can because it has such significant outcomes. And I see, again, I hope anyone watching my show doesn't buy into this, but I see a sentiment from time to time on the left of kind of electoral politics doesn't work. And um, because of the absolutely true realization and recognition of the failings of the government generally, elected leaders generally on so many issues, and even the Democratic Party, their failures, um, because of that, we should detach. That, that's just not the way we have to go forward. Yes, we have to continue to make sure and do what we can to get the best Democrat uh, Democrats as the nominee. But even when the nominee in these different elections isn't the one we would have chosen or we have a lot of issues with them, we have to still make sure we do the work and mobilize because this, so much of the current reality of our judicial landscape was shaped by the fact that Trump won in 2016. This judge being appointed by uh, Trump and the justices, the Supreme Court justices and, and so many federal judges, um, it matters and it has an impact. So as I said, let's keep trying to get better Democrats as the nominees. And in the meantime, still make sure the Republican doesn't win because then we get disastrous outcomes such as this. Last thing we'll look at on this, uh, Democratic Senator Ron Wyden responded saying this, quote, there's no way this decision has a basis in law. It is instead rooted in conservatives, dangerous and undemocratic takeover of our country's institutions. No matter what happens in seven days, I believe the Food and Drug Administration has the authority to ignore this ruling, which is why I'm again calling on President Biden and the FDA to do just that. The FDA doctors and pharmacies can and must go about their jobs like nothing has changed and keep mifepristone accessible to women across America. If they don't, the consequences of banning the most common method of abortion in every single state will be devastating. Uh, so there, Ron Wyden saying this ruling is so absurd, he's calling on the Biden administration, um, specifically the FDA, to ignore the ruling. Um, what a moment we're in. And this, as I said, again, highlights the importance of taking serious, as serious as we possibly can, as seriously as we possibly can, um, the effect of these elections. Elections really do have consequences. As you guys know, make sure you're following me on Instagram, Luke Beasley official. Gavin Newsom got interviewed uh, by Jen Psaki on MSNBC, and one of the moments caught my eye in uh, relation to, they were talking about Ron DeSantis and uh, Gavin Newsom just kind of gets asked if you are to put on your pundit hat and just analyze the situation, what do you think DeSantis's political chances are in a possible 2024 GOP presidential primary? What should he do? How would you advise him? And Gavin Newsom's response is definitely um, correct and i want to talk about the 
entire conversation here afterwards. What a fan. He has had some responses of late that have been hugely problematic, offensive, dangerous. I mean, one of them was going after the Manhattan district attorney, uh, echoing the language of uh, former President Donald Trump uh, with that threatening language, suggesting Democrats are weaponizing the judicial system. But you also are a very astute political guy. Do you think that is smart politics in the Republican primary? No, I thought he looked weak. This is purely the politician in me, my political punditry. Yeah. Nothing worse than a politician, current one, being a political pundit. So let me forgive, forgive all of us. We'll give this you moment. a moment. We'll give uh, you a moment. Because you just live too subjective. In an effort to be objective as a pundit, you just look weak. Weakness masquerading as strength. So if you are, you're not advising Governor DeSantis, I know that. Uh. But what is his political path here? Should he be running away from criticizing Trump? Should he be speaking up for the rule of law? He's going to get rolled by Trump. Trump's just going to roll him. Thumped. I honestly, if I were offering him political... I love that word. Thumped. ...political advice, I'd, I'd tell him to pack up and, and wait a few years. And actually do some of the hard work, which actually includes governing, not just identity and culture work. Um, actually go back and actually start to address some of the insurance issues, start to address some of the cost uh, issues, and particularly cost of housing. These are very familiar. I'm very humbled by all of this. I understand the systemic trouble. I'm the first to acknowledge. I'm, I'm my own worst critic. I'd be working on some of those basic things. I'd expand Medicaid to the backs of, of folks out there that need preventative care. I'd be focusing on the acuity of the environment, Mother Nature. She bats last, bats a thousand. I know that from being in Little Rock and Wynn down in Arkansas and Rolling Rock. I mean, this is a serious moment in American history, world history. I hope he would start to focus on some of those issues. That would be my advice. Come back as a more seasoned and capable leader with a little humility, which, by the way, he can use a little of. <laughs> I don't know if he'll be finding that humility anytime soon. Um, Increasingly, and all of this, we can't know 100% for sure. Of course, it's speculation, but that's literally my job in this situation. Um, I really do think DeSantis is, as Gavin Newsom said, if he jumps into the race, going to get thumped by Trump. And um, I, from the beginning, even though DeSantis' polling for a while there was so strong compared to Trump uh, in certain polls and there's so much chatter about him on Fox News and all of that. It's just hard to imagine whenever Trump's in the race, you could take over the Trumpism movement because that's what it is. People aren't moving away from, as I've said many times, Trumpism. Some are moving away from Trump specifically because of his baggage, because of whatever, his personality they're tired of, or um, a few other factors. Maybe they want a younger generation, you'll hear from some people. But still, while there's a part of the Republican Party that's against the entire Trumpism, um, that entire characteristic of this modern Republican Party, for the most part, the majority is on board with it. And they just want to see that in a different figure, possibly, some of them. But I don't think you're going to get enough of them to move over to someone while Trump's still in the race, especially now that there's uh, a coalescing around Trump, this uh, defense of him in regard to his indictment. And so as Gavin Newsom outlined there, maybe DeSantis should actually, instead of constantly doing political stunts to uh, make him more prominent within the Republican Party and the Republican base, the MAGA base, 
instead of doing those things, he could spend time actually trying to solve real issues. Um, instead of going after Disney for being pro-LGBTQ, he could actually address some of the issues um, that significantly impact his uh, citizens, his constituents, and then see how things look in a few years. I mean, obviously, I hope he would never run for higher office. He would be a terrible president, but strategically, Gavin Newsom's exactly right. Because when you go against Trump, um, while I wish someone, uh, while I wish someone could defeat him, absolutely. And hopefully when he probably becomes the nominee within the GOP, Biden being the likely Democratic nominee will defeat him, hopefully. Um, but when you go against Trump, it's not what you sometimes see within the Democratic Party, which is, yeah, we disagree. Yeah, I think I'd be a better candidate. But uh, we all have respect for one another, or some of us have respect for one another. And later on, you see Biden and Kamala Harris able to be on the same ticket together and stuff like that. Trump doesn't work like that. Trump makes you his full and complete enemy, as we've all observed. He's already doing that with DeSantis. So for DeSantis to jump in the race now, again, it's not like the Democratic primary or the Republican primary of the past, where it can be a nice way to become more prominent, to get your name out there, to have your policy positions heard more. And then you capitalize off that more in a future race. That's not the case within the Trump Republican primary, because you will become the enemy of a large portion of the Republican base and likely your political future later will be destroyed because of uh, that very reality unless somehow the very identity of the GOP, the Republican base, uh, changes within the next few years, which I don't see happening. Maybe Trump becomes politically irrelevant um, for whatever reason, legal troubles um, or others, but Trumpism, the unique way in which so much of the Republican base is just detached from reality on so many issues and the type of politics they like to see, that's not going away for quite a while. And um, it's going to be fascinating both in this primary and in so many situations, seeing how that plays out. Let me know what you think, Luke P. Beasley on Twitter. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is calling for Clarence Thomas Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, to be impeached for um, the lavish trips and gifts he's been accepting from his billionaire buddy without disclosing that information. And there are laws that got implemented after Watergate that say justices, judges, members of Congress as well are subject to these, um, these rules, laws, should disclose gifts that they're getting um, so that they're not being influenced in ways such as lavish trips like Clarence Thomas is uh, now known to be getting. Hundreds of thousands of dollars spent by this uh, billionaire, GOP mega billionaire, on Clarence Thomas's behalf, and he didn't disclose that information. Here is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez calling for this, saying she will introduce articles of impeachment or hopefully another Democrat will as well that she'll sign on to. Um, and then we'll look at another moment from her in just a second. You know, so in, in to, to get to the heart of your question, uh, we Congress is out of session for the next week. Um, so, and so that does give Democrats um, sometimes some time to strategize 
And the way I feel about it is that the I do think articles need to be introduced. If we decide strategically that the actual author of those articles and, and who introduces them may not be me, that's fine. I will support impeachment. But I just think that if no one's going to introduce it, I, I would certainly be open to doing so and drafting them myself. I think this is uh, gone far, far beyond any sort of acceptable standard in in any democracy, let alone an American democracy. There we go. And then uh, this is her appearance on State of the Union with uh, Dana Bash, where she speaks more to this and specifically responds to the statement response by Clarence Thomas to the ProPublica reporting um, on this. Uh, more about the Supreme Court and what you mentioned before, which is that Justice Clarence Thomas, you want him to be impeached after a new ProPublica report this week revealed that he accepted luxury vacations from a Republican billionaire donor without disclosing them. Thomas is now defending himself, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, quote, early in my tenure at the court, I sought guidance from my colleagues and others in the judiciary and was advised that this sort of personal hospitality from close personal friends who did not have business before the court was reportable was not reportable, rather. What is your response? I think that his own statement contradicts uh, contradicts many of the facts on the ground and also raises, in other ways, even more serious questions. Later on in his statement, he stated that the reason and the rationale for this exemption was personal hospitality from an old friend. And he said himself in his statement, a friend of 25 years, Justice Thomas has been on the court for 30 years. And so to say what he is admitting in his statement in an attempt to defend himself is that he began this relationship with a billionaire and receiving these sorts of gifts as after he was appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States. I think that that in and of itself indicates a very, very serious problem. And then on top of that, he is now implicating his colleagues. And I do believe that Chief Justice John Roberts must now come forward and, and state if he allows and is allowing this kind of very serious corruption to happen on, on this court. Right. Yeah, so uh, even if you're a defender of Clarence Thomas, you got to understand how this looks. Come on. He has this position of power that um, directly impacts so many different areas of uh, life, different industries, different interests. And then he has this friend who is involved in a lot of those very interests and surrounds him with other people who have very particular interests in regard to business and the rulings of the Supreme Court. And then he's showering you with all of this uh, money worth of uh, gifts and trips, and you're not disclosing that. Of course, that's going to decrease the perceived legitimacy of the Supreme Court and you in particular as a Supreme Court justice. And that could absolutely blur your vision when um, making some of these decisions or uh, mess with your ability to be impartial. And Clarence Thomas knew how it looked clearly because he wasn't disclosing those things, um, which could have been a violation of the law. Lastly, this just kind of came out in regard to this sort of just strange. The mega donor billionaire 
mega GOP donor billionaire, uh, Harlan Crow, apparently has a bunch of Nazi uh, historical artifacts, I guess. Take a look at this. When Republican megadona Harlan Crow isn't lavishing Justice Clarence Thomas with free trips on his private plane and yacht, he lives a quiet life in Dallas among his historical collections. These collections include Hitler artifacts, two of his paintings of European cityscapes, and a signed co copy of Mein Kampf, and assorted Nazi memorabilia, plus a garden full of statues of the 20th century's worst despots. Quote, I can't get over the collection of Nazi memorabilia, says one person who attended an event at Crow's home a few years ago and asked to remain anonymous. It would have been helpful to have someone explain the significance of all the items. Without that context, you sort of just gasp when you walk into the room. Um, yeah. And apparently he says he keeps these mementos because he hates communism and fascism. Which, I, in museums, there's Nazi stuff, so I get that you can have thing artifacts that you're not celebrating, but it's just it's just a strange addition to this story, um, for sure. The chaos for Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy um, and his House Republican majority continues. It all started with the debacle getting him the speakership, and now um, I have yet another example of the troubles he's having leading his conference for you today. And this comes in the form of New York Times reporting that's been done on the way Kevin McCarthy feels about his number two um, and another individual in a leadership position within the Republican Party in the House. And now he's in hot water because this was revealed, the way that he feels about them. And they're unhappy with him. It's just all falling apart, as maybe you can hear sirens um are going by the building okay uh jumping into this instead of reading the new york times pieces mediate kind of solidified this nicely so i'll read their coverage of it house speaker kevin mccarthy is facing backlash from gop lawmakers after the new york times published a report suggesting the republican was blaming his own leadership for the lack of a budget and so biden has proposed um for a little bit of context before we continue with this article biden has proposed his uh budget it's just a proposal it won't actually get through but a lot of really good things in it and he's waiting so that they can negotiate especially so that they can figure out the debt ceiling situation um, for republicans to present their budget proposal and that's not exactly happening and kevin mccarthy is blaming those under him uh, according to the times report this week mccarthy reportedly said he doubted house budget chair jody arrington or arrington I think it's Arrington, could deliver a budget proposal. And he called Majority Leader Steve Scalise an ineffective leader. Ooh, that's his number two. Uh, McCarthy denied the accusation that his leadership team is not unified, though. An Axios report later revealed some blowback to McCarthy's alleged comments and suggested the speaker may be on rocky ground in his leadership position. Oh, no. Uh, quote, the, me uh, the members I've spoken with are just stunned by his rebuking of his budget chair and certainly of our leadership. One unidentified House Republican told the outlet, I can't imagine, um, and then they're referring to him lasting an entire term. Arrington gave his own statement echoing McCarthy's promises that the party is focused and unified in putting together a budget. 
Our nation is staring down the barrel of a debt crisis, and my budget committee colleagues and I are focused on one thing, passing a budget that will stop this reckless spending and restore fiscal sanity in Washington before it's too late. Another Republican lawmaker accused the House Speaker of treating Scalise and Arrington as scapegoats. Representative Ralph Ralph Norman was a tad more blunt in his statement. The agreements made by Speaker McCarthy, among other things, is to begin the 10-year balanced budget now. And with his uh, initiatives and directives, it's his responsibility to get the 218 votes to ensure our nation's financial security, just as he did in securing the 218 votes for Speaker, the Republican uh, said the Times previous reported McCarthy had been trash-talking his GOP colleagues and compared the reported infighting to Mean Girls drama playing out um, on Capitol Hill. Huh. Mean Girls drama. So, if it starts as chaotic as how we saw this whole era start with Kevin McCarthy's speakership being so difficult to get, of course, we're going to see examples like this and the debt ceiling, the budget negotiations, all of that matter and bad things could happen. Horrible things could happen if um, the incompetency of the Republican Party is so bad that this can't get done. And that highlights why it matters to have people who actually have an interest in governing and not just political theater in these positions of power. But unfortunately, at least the House majority um, does not fall into that characterization. There is a little bit of drama in MAGA world that I want to update you um, about. This is kind of a fun, fun story, I guess, to observe. So twice failed. Let me give you all the characters and then we'll talk about what's going on. Twice failed congressional candidate Laura Loomer is one of the people. Bonkers conspiracy theorist, super bigoted, just wild marjorie green you know you know about marjorie green and trump is also involved in this he's kind of what caused uh this debacle but laura loomer and marjorie green are the ones fighting um so trump wanted to hire laura loomer and just before we talk about how marjorie green plays into this take a look at this from the new york times former president donald j trump recently told aides to hire laura loomer a far-right and anti-muslim activist with a history of expressing bigoted views for a campaign role according to four people familiar with them with the plant it looks like the trump team has backed off of this because of the blowback but just to give you a sense if you're not familiar with laura loomer she of course is an election denier and all of that but also, as the New York Times writes, she once described Islam as a cancer and tweeted under the hashtag, hashtag proud Islamophobe, and she has celebrated the deaths of migrants crossing the Mediterranean. Gosh, oh my, just horrible people in politics. In 2018, she was barred from Twitter for violating its hateful conduct policy. To protest the ban, Ms. Loomer, who is Jewish, affixed a yellow star of David, uh, to her clothes, just as, quote, Nazis made the Jews wear during the Holocaust, she said, and handcuffed herself to the entrance to Twitter's New York headquarters. Um, let's see a little bit more here. Um, she was also barred from Lyft and Uber for bigoted remarks toward a Muslim individual, and then Quote, someone asked me, are you pro-white nationalism? This is Laura Loomer. Yes, I'm pro-white nationalism, Miss Loomer said. But there's a difference between white nationalism and white supremacy, right? 
yes, both of them are horrible. <laughs> and a lot of liberals and left-wing globalist Marxist Jews don't understand that, she added. So this country really was built as the white Judeo-Christian ethnostate, essentially. Over time, immigration and all these calls for diversity, it's starting to destroy this country. Uh, okay, so that's who the Trump campaign was considering hiring. Pro-ethnostate person, pro-white nationalism, anti-so many things, very bigoted, in particular against Muslim people. And then we get to uh, how Marjorie Greene plays into this. So she uh, is against Laura Loomer being hired, not for the reasons that I just outlined, unfortunately, but instead because they've been beefing for quite a while now in regard to the Kevin McCarthy. They used to be supportive of one another, but now because the Kevin McCarthy speakership battle, Marjorie Greene supported him, Laura Loomer was against him, and then it got super personal over that and um, maybe some other things. And so Marjorie Greene wrote on Twitter uh, saying, Laura Loomer is mentally unstable and a documented liar. She cannot be trusted. She spent months lying about me and attacking me just because I supported Kevin McCarthy for speaker. And after I had refused to endorse her last election cycle, she loves the alleged FBI informant and weirdo Nick Fuentes. Okay, you went to his event and were supportive of him too until a certain period of time. She tried to get hired on the A campaign after the infamous Mar-a-Lago dinner, but Kanye West refused to hire her. So now she's running to Trump. Never hire or do business with a liar. Liars are toxic and poisonous to everything they touch. I'll make sure he knows. And then she links this article. Um, and Laura Loomer responded to that saying, oh gosh, here we go. I'm going to try to do this fast. Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, the only liar is you. You hired the foreign national who set up the dinner at Mar-a-Lago and you spoke at the AFPAC where you were more than happy to embrace Fuentes. Yeah, he asked me to work on his campaign and I said no because I told him I endorse Donald Trump, but I support his right to free speech. You are a liar. You have a British foreign national who openly attacks President Trump every day working for you and living in Rome, Georgia. I have the receipts. I have screenshots of you telling me you want me in Congress and that you were uh, going to endorse me. You only changed your mind once you made deals with McCarthy. You're a disloyal liar and you're working with someone who said he, quote, wanted to uh, make Trump miserable by setting him up at Mar-a-Lago. Here you are on video in case I need to refresh your memory. And this is Marjorie Green. I'll skip to the end, being supportive of Laura Loomer in the past. I need, I need really great, strong, bold, America first candidates to run. I need to get them elected, and I'm going to be working very hard supporting Laura and supporting other America First candidates. Okay, supporting Laura, and there was more, but um, you get the point. So these stories are fun because everyone we're talking about is just horrible. So watching them attack one another is um, perfectly fine with me. And, you know, Marjorie Green calling Laura Loomer a liar, true. Laura Loomer calling Marjorie Green a liar. True. They're all just lying back and forth. Some accurate about what they're saying about what the other person did in certain situations, but generally just very dishonest um, people who, let's, let's just be real, they're not against each other because of how radical and dishonest and all of that either person is. They're um, beefing like this because of sp like specific ego, personal stuff that took place. Um, and then Ali... Alexander, who's a MAGA guy, said MTG says one thing but does another. I can confirm that her attendance at AFPAC was not organic. It was planned, which the press has suspected but never had a source. I can confirm on the record now. She was courting Nick's support. They made him edit part of his speech. 
and they're referencing, you can see the photo there. If she's going to act like she's uh, so reasonable because she's against Fuentes when she did that, appeared at a white nationalist conference um, and was very supportive of him um, at that point in time, but then realized how bad it looked, I guess, and backed off. But bonkers stuff and <laughs> fun to watch. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. I will see you tomorrow.